welcome to the Leadership Works podcast. Got a fantastic guest making a major, major impact in the city of Memphis. And really, that's what Leadership Works is all about. We love to talk about my town, my time, my turn. And so our guest is John Carroll of Choose 901. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. A lot of Memphians know about Choose 901 and have really kind of embraced the motto of that. But go back in time a little bit and give us the backstory of how this movement began. Yeah, so Choose 901 is a marketing campaign uh, out of our nonprofit city leadership. We created it to help recruit and retain millennials, uh, specifically thinking through the next generation of leaders uh, for our city. But it actually came about because we were working with nonprofit partners throughout the city in 2011. And in my normal, regular week-to-week meetings with these leaders, having lunches, having breakfasts, talking through stuff, I would ask this question. It's, it's kind of my main consulting question I ask all the time is, What's your current leadership challenge? You know, I always frame it like that and, and not in sense of like a problem. A lot of times people ask, what problem are you working on? What's bad? What's terrible? You know what I'm saying? And I always feel like the conversation goes to this negative space. When we ask leadership challenge, you can sometimes get a problem, but sometimes you get this real big opportunity. Right. What I found was in, in this September and October of 2011, about five or six out of eight of those kind of meetings that just had to happen, people were bringing up that our current challenge is recruiting talent. We're getting mm-hmm. enough applications, getting enough qualified applications in for these programs that were looking for college graduates, You know, specifically 22 to maybe 25-year-old people looking to come to a one-year to four-year commitment. Some orgs were getting 50 applications for 200 openings, you know, or getting uh, 10 applications for 20 openings, or getting 300 applications for 75 openings, but only 50 were qualified. Mm. And so they just wasn't working out. And the math came out staggering, Chris, was that between 2012 and 2020, Memphis was set to miss out on about 3,500 college-educated employees moving to the city for jobs that had, money had already been raised for. Wow. Committed and ready to go, but those jobs were going to go empty. Now, a lot of the jobs are going to go filled, but a lot there was just a big gap, and we thought, man, what if every one of those jobs went filled, and what if every one of these orgs had choice in who they were getting to pick in that space? And so we need to create a campaign to help make awareness for college students around the country, and specifically in our region, about those opportunities. And and that's where the need and the real drive for creating what is now known as Choose 901 came from. As a Memphian who's lived here my whole life, there has been a certain stigma or sometimes even like a black eye among Memphians that they would have a negative outlook toward our city and would choose to be critical instead of find the positives. One of the things that is just so fascinating to watch over these past 10 years or so is how God has really used you, your team, choose not a one to really reshape our vision of our city. And I know that, you know, there's a sense where some cities are viewed as destination cities and some cities are kind of these exit cities of, I can't wait to get out of here. I'm going to get my degree. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to go to one of these other cities. Talk about a little bit of what has gone into this process of really changing the way people view the 901, you know, our area code, our city, this place that we call home. Well, what's funny is, is that We didn't set out to really change the way Memphians viewed the city. That was actually something that came about. About a year in, we realized that we had that opportunity. 
what we found was we surveyed college students within an eight-hour drive of Memphis and asked them what they thought of Memphis. And what we found was about seven out of ten of those college students had a total neutral impression of Memphis. They had never lived here. They had never been here. They'd heard there was music here. There was barbecue here. But they didn't think relatively great things about it. But they didn't think anything negative about it either. In fact, only about one out of ten thought anything negative, And about two out of ten thought, sounds like a fun place to live. And what we found was is that we had this highly impressionable opportunity. And as we looked into that, what we figured out is that Memphians, in their own insecurity, in their own whatever, they are the only ones talking bad about the city. So when they meet somebody, or they're even as an HR recruiter at a Fortune 500 company, or as you're recruiting somebody to do a program like Downline or Teach for America, it was actually the recruiters that were saying things to these people like, Hey, it's not as bad as it sounds. It's safer than you think. And they were actually putting in the first impressions into these people of going, wait a second, it's not safe? Wait a second, Memphis isn't good? They were the ones creating the bad impression. So what we found was is that if we were able to assume the positive, that recruiting was really easy to go, right? And so we created it for that group of people. Well, we had to answer two big questions for these college students. One, are there opportunities in Memphis? Which that was easy. We knew we had access to hundreds of just the nonprofit, not counting all the other opportunities. We just had to tell them about it. But then two, will I enjoy living there? Mm. And that was the big question is they they didn't assume they would enjoy living here. They didn't assume it was bad. They just didn't assume like San Diego or Denver or Austin, Texas or Miami, maybe, or New York. They assumed that there's some adventure in San Francisco. But like, but Memphis wasn't a city they just didn't have any assumptions about so we had to tell the story of Memphis, tell all these positive things. Well, as we started telling them those positive stories, Memphians start saying, like, well, that's my city. They started seeing it out there in that thing. You know, my, my town that you're saying, like, right. that. they were so excited about talking about it. And they started sharing it. And we started seeing our web traffic was going 90% out of town and 10% in town because we were targeting all out of town. And then just organically. We never bought an ad. We never bought a like. We never bought anything on social media, whatever. All of a sudden, our web traffic was doubling almost every single month. Wow. But the percentage of local traffic just kept climbing and climbing and climbing. And now, every month, we have over 200,000 devices in Shelby County on our website starved for that optimism, local stories, and trying to look at it and trying to figure out, this is my city. I want to hear about all the good things that are happening. I love the leadership principle that's kind of built into what you just said. Assume the positive. Yes. Unfortunately, in our city and in our country, really, there's there's this climate right now, politically and everything else, where people have a tendency, like you said, to be pessimistic instead of yes. optimistic, to see the negative. Elaborate a little bit on what are some ways that you assume the positive, and what are some of those stories that you told that begin to speak life into things? Well, one of the things we got to look at right beginning is that the millennial generation is different. In fact, if you actually study optimism, over half of millennials self-identify between picking between optimistic, realistic, or pessimistic. Over half of millennials self-identify as optimistic. In fact, it's the most common term to define millennials of any term out there. If you take even the most six frequent terms to define millennials, optimism is number one. Only one out of five or two out of ten people born before 1980, right? So Generation X, baby boomers, self-identify as optimistic. Wow. So there's a communication barrier that's happening between current leadership and upcoming leadership 
of what is possible, how to tackle things. I mean, they may even do the same work, but you just, on one end, you hear, I don't know if this can work. This is going to be miserable. I don't know if we can pull this off. And then they actually accomplish the job. Whereas in the communication from the millennials is, we can do it. This can happen. We're going to make this happen. And then they accomplish the job. It's that communication tension that happens really crazy in that space. So then we knew that we couldn't rely on, you know, historical Memphians to actually talk about their city in a positive way. And one of the things we wrote on our whiteboard at the very beginning, it was actually there for three years until we moved to our offices, was that Memphis needs an authentic voice to tell the real optimistic story that truly exists. And so that had to be out there all the time, that authentic Optimism that we knew we couldn't trick them into that space because we know that their whole lives they've been exposed to all these advertisements, all this stuff, and that they would be able to read through it. So we knew it had to be authentic, but then we knew it had to be optimistic, and then we had to figure out what they like, right? So the higher your GPA is when you graduate from college, the more likely it is that you are going to rank outdoor recreation as something that when you pick a city, okay. right? So knowing that was really interesting. So like we could promote all this kind of stuff and even fight for in our city. Hey, let's do have more bike lanes. And not only have good bike lanes, let's really talk about it out there. Let's not park in our park. Let's enjoy mm-hmm. our park, yeah. right? Because we knew that's a talent recruitment issue, not just about a preference on parking. Then we knew that mattered for the future of our city. We also knew, man, they like to eat healthy. So promoting barbecue is great, <laughs> but we needed to be able to advocate for all our other kind of restaurants. And, you know, we recruit people from other places of the country and they're like, oh, I'm a vegan. Where do I eat? You know what I'm saying? And so like being able to help communicate those kind of things and be able to show that and be able to show like not only can you go eat here, but let's tell the story about the person who decided that this restaurant needed to exist here. Mm-hmm. And that created this hope. This dream of creating my own restaurant, this entrepreneurialism, and then the fact that it met this need outside of what you traditionally think. And so telling those stories over and over again, and then looking to not talk about the what people did, but focusing the optimism back into who someone is, and then allowing to show what came out of who they are instead of letting what something is define the whole story. Does that make sense? It it makes perfect sense. And there's so many different aspects of what you do at Choose 901, and there's different expressions. But one of the things that just as I listen to you that is fascinating to me is you're talking about you got to recruit talent. you got to draw millennials to your city, and you're really trying to find how do you tell that story. Well, it's a competition. It, it, well, absolutely, no doubt. Yeah. As you're telling that story, what I've heard you say a little bit is, okay, part of it is I've got to look at the opportunities, and I've got to show them what those opportunities are. So there's casting a new vision, but I'm also curious, I'm assuming that part of the story is rebranding some other things that maybe had grown tired and weary and that the, even that story, maybe it's a great story, but it hadn't been told or it hadn't been told in a relevant way, or, or maybe there are some negatives there that we need to rebrand. How have you looked at those different components versus mm-hmm. the new opportunities and then also retelling a story or rebranding a story? I give you a great example to start off with, right? So a lot of people talk about, oh, downtown Memphis is, oh, it's not like downtowns of other cities. Yes, exactly, right? Downtown Memphis is this unbelievable destination space that is beautiful, clean. It's the safest downtown in Tennessee. Last year, it was the safest downtown in the southeast. Wow. There's a ton of restaurants. There's great places to live. There's actually more apartments in downtown Memphis. There's twice as many as Nashville and three times as many as downtown Atlanta. So there's options of place to live, and you can't get one. They still can't build them fast enough. There's so many people wanting to live down there. 
We had to tell a story that say that a lot of downtowns are in the center of people. And so downtowns are traffic, they're congested, and then people try to get out of them in space. Our downtown, if you're third in line at a red light, you're in rush hour. You yeah. know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so to be in that kind of space and, and be able to have all that walkable space and for it to be like any place, it's a big city, right? And so we had to talk about this downtown being awesome and it had all these big city amenities but it had this hometown feel this is a big advantage where a lot of people can't afford to live in an urban environment they want Mm -hmm. to live in the urban environment of austin or san francisco or new york you can't afford to do that Mm -hmm. you know when you're 22 unless you have a trust fund in memphis you can you can live work walk go do everything you want to do in downtown and it's great so you can have these big city amenities with a hometown feel the problem is is because we have a hometown feel. Most big cities don't have a hometown feel. And what we found is is that we are a metropolis, and so we have Fortune 500 companies and the Grizzlies, but we sometimes feel like a Mayberry. Yeah. And so what happens is is when there's crime in Mayberry, people freak out. And what we found it over and over, trying to tell that story again, is that you have these metropolis amenities and a Mayberry feel but you still have metropolis realities, that there's still people doing bad things and there's still crime. And that's unfortunate that that happens. And obviously, I don't want that to happen. But I think it feels deeper here because you have the opportunity to feel like it's a Mayberry. And so when something bad happens, people feel like this should not happen here. We are a hometown. The way you painted that picture makes perfect sense. Yes. Because we are a big, small town. Yes. And there's such a relational community here Mm -hmm. where everybody seems to know everybody. But yet it, it is this community that in the greater metro area, there's over a million people here. And you do have some of the big league type stuff yeah. like the Grizzlies and you've got some big corporations, but yet it does have that Southern hospitality and yes. charm to it. And that's what makes us so unique. It's the reason why people want to live here because not only can they enjoy living here, they can feel known. That mm. I mean, that's what people really want deep in their heart. They want to know others and feel known. They don't want to be connected. They want to be in community. And Memphis offers community in a different kind of way. I lived in Dallas for four or five years for we moved to Memphis, and there's lots of connections, but I didn't feel in community anywhere. I, it felt like Strangerville. Everywhere you went, I didn't know anyone. If you saw someone you knew, it's better luck finding a four-leaf clover. I mean, in Memphis, you go to a Grizzlies game, you can't get to your seat. You see everybody you know. If you sit down at a restaurant, you're going to see four or five other families. It's just super unique. I resonate with that so much. When I go to other cities, larger cities, visit churches and stuff in those cities that we're trying to learn from, There is a part of me that's grateful. I think Memphis is kind of the perfect size. You know, it's big enough to have some of those assets, but small enough to have those relationships. And as a leader, it gives me the ability to believe I can make a difference. I truly can have influence impact. Sometimes in these other cities, honestly, I feel a little overwhelmed. I think, wow, if I was in that city, no matter how big of an impact I make, I'm not sure I'm making an impact, you know. Mm -hmm. And so to me, there is some magic in the middle in the size that we are. Our size is not only magical, but it's a big advantage. And and I think there's people who want to live in this kind of space. I mean, obviously, there's people who want to live in smaller towns. There's people who want to live in bigger places. That's great. We're not going to compete with New York City, right? And we're not really going to compete with a Mayberry. Sure. And so we just need to give up that and just be who we are. We are a big city with a hometown feel, and we need to lean into it. And that's part of telling that story over and over again and not just telling that to people who are coming here to experience this for the first time, because a lot of times they get told one or the other, not both, but also 
sharing that back out to Memphians and letting them feel like letting them reinterpret their experience and be able to say like my hometown grew up into a big city and I don't know how to deal with that or my big city you know what I'm saying like still has some hometownness right. of it and it never became super city or whatever they wanted right. it to be and so helping them reimagine the advantages they have on being big and small right. you know what I'm saying and then understanding what that doesn't make our city and, and allowing that to be a reality they can go oh well that makes sense now I can really enjoy living here or I need to go move to the place I really want to move to and that's fine too Choose down to one. The way I see it mm-hmm. is you are such a value adding organization and you are value adding to other leaders because, again, you're helping us redefine our city and cast a positive view of our city and attract leaders to our city. What are some of the ways that you have built partnerships with leaders in this city and business leaders in this city in order to work together for the greater good? And how can those leaders out there build those partnerships with you so that we are attracting those millennials and other leaders to our city? Great question. What we found, one, and this is the truth of the whole matter is, is that Choose Not a One's not really doing any of these things. We are a megaphone and a spotlight. Memphis was cool before we put it on a website, or we wouldn't have had anything to put it on there. Uh, Memphis was unique and interesting and enjoyable and all that kind of stuff. We're just pushing the reality of what is happening. 99% of everything we put on our website, we didn't create any of it. You know what I'm saying? It was already all out there. So the great thing is, is that we're just putting a megaphone and giving people a resource to be able to go, oh, look at all these amazing things that are happening. Well, what's happening now is is that as corporations, especially, you know, international paper that we can see behind you from where we're sitting, or I just left a training this morning from First Tennessee's HR department, or FedEx or ALSAC or ServiceMaster, what they're finding is that they're looking for a competitive advantage on how to sell Memphis. What happens great about Choose 901 is it's a third party outside of their organization that talks about the authenticity and how cool the city is without that stuff even having to live on their website. What we found is that, you know, you can go shoot all your own stuff, make your own slick materials. Even St. Jude can go make a brochure and says, this is all the reasons you like Memphis. And if St. Jude got to make it, then it's kind of like, ah, you're just selling me. But if they can say, go check out this website, this social media of Choose 901, or there's other good stuff too, they go check that out and say, look at what these people are saying. Just go watch the stories. We didn't pay for any of this. We didn't do any of this. Just go look at what's happening. Then it's kind of like, oh my gosh. Like now it's kind of like, oh, I've got this great job opportunity, this cool company. And I see this building community that's happening in the city. That partnership and allowed to leverage that is saying is that, hey, they're saying it, not us. And that's the newness of the world that we live in mm-hmm. with social media. People have a platform in order to share their story. And so you can capture the authenticity of the vibe of the city by you being that megaphone in that spotlight and really see how people enjoy living here. Well, and that's the thing is, is that choose not a one's out of control on social media. I mean, like, you know, I think. Last time I saw, just on Instagram alone, we're at almost like 300,000 uses of the hashtag. And we've only posted on Instagram like 2,000 times. Wow. So it's the most used hashtag in the MSA. And you know, obviously, we're not doing 
298,000 of those uses. So, like, it's just out there. People have, have really found an identity with it and used it, but they're using it to promote, hey, buy local, live local, care local, move here, you know, and, and just really show pride that they right. that they want to be a part of it. And so, and that has all been awesome. And we've just tried to let that go. Like, this is theirs. You know, I'll say this is that sometimes we try to say things for the city and it doesn't go over well. You know what I'm saying? Like, we try to say, like, hey, the city feels... This way, and, and we'll get pushback. You know, people will post something. People are like, I don't care about that. And we try to pivot and adjust because we're not trying to say something that the city's not saying. We're just trying to put it through that megaphone. You know what I'm saying? And so that's why people identify because when we say something, typically they hear themselves. Right. They identify with it because they, that's the way I feel. That's why I always say that all the time. That's where I want to go. That's where whatever. And so then they can identify that because she's no one's not. Mine, you know what I'm saying? Choose not on one is the people who care about this city. Like, that's who it is. So, remind me, how many years has Choose Not on One been in existence? Five years. We launched like March like 12th of 2012. Okay. So, so here recently, I, I don't remember, I think it's somewhere in the next, in the last three to six months, I saw an article where we were ranked the fifth best city in America for millennials to move to. Yes. Between when you started yeah. and now for someone to write an article and rank mm-hmm. us as number five on that, you're obviously in the know and you're really part of the fabric of trying to make that happen. Give us a little bit of the backstory of, of how you think that happened and why that's true. Well, here's one of the things crazy about is my wife didn't want to move to Memphis. We moved here because I got a job offer. We had some friends who moved here. I'd called him about being a reference for a job I was applying for in Dallas. And he said, well, man, if you're looking for a new job, you ought to apply for a job in Memphis. This is a cool city. Didn't know anything about it, whatever. And my wife didn't want to leave family in Dallas. It wasn't about negative Memphis. She just didn't want to leave family in Dallas. And I said, well, we'll move there for a year or two, and then we'll move someplace cool. You know? And we moved here and fell in love with it. But what happened was, is right before we moved, between deciding when we were going to move and, and when we actually moved, Newsweek released a city of ranking the top 272 cities in the United States. They were all met this large, you know, like over 50,000 people or something. And Memphis was ranked 271. Oh, wow. And so, like, you can imagine, right, in my household, people would be like, why are we moving to, like, the worst <laughs> city in the United States? And so to see that, to go to these kind of lists where top five, top ten – we have the number one entertainment district in the country. We obviously just last week we got ranked the number one cheeseburger in the country. You know what I'm saying? Like, and for all this kind of stuff to happen over and over again, what we're seeing is one is that people are hearing about Memphis and they weren't hearing about it before. Two is that you come out of this economy, people are finding that other cities have been were built over, you know, uh, and uh, like Atlanta built in the 80s. Dallas was built in the 80s. You know, L.A. was built in the 70s. They're old cities. They're old and they tore down all their authentic buildings, whatever, when nobody wanted anything to do with Memphis and rightfully so after the murder of Dr. Martin Luther King. You know, when nobody wanted anything to do with Memphis, it actually kind of preserved us. And what happened was is that now that development's coming back in they're building into the kind of architecture and the structure and the way that people like to do it you know you don't have buildings downtown with big parking lots in front of them. they're right on the street and all this kind of stuff and so people really like it and so there's something about the most horrendous thing that's ever happened in our city that set us up for the, what i think will be the best century for our city wow. which is the one coming forward because it kind of put everything on pause and allowed our city to be developed by this next generation 
this next generation of peoples and leaders. And that's where they're, they're like, I want to go live there where it's it's inexpensive. The things look authentic. Things are cool. There's a cool vibe. But then the thing that people hate the most about our city is the need of the people that are in poverty. We have the highest percentage of people that are in poverty of any of the 50 largest cities in the United States. But what I tell you is what some people look at as big negative. It's this incredible asset for these caring selfless leaders of this next generation because they're looking for frontline space to make a difference with their life. And in Memphis, we have a lot of frontline space. Mm-hmm. You go to another city and you know you want to make a difference and it's get in line and how do I get involved and how do you get through the bureaucracy and whatever. In Memphis, it's like, I want to make a difference. You're like, great. We need as many hands as possible. We need as many people as possible. You know, We need people to get up on the front lines. And people don't understand that, yes, I can have a great job at a Fortune 500 company in your town. Yes, I can have a cool place to live and actually afford it and not be in crazy house debt and whatever. I, you know, I can have a normal mortgage. But I also, I can spend my time and make a difference in someone's life, and they really need me. And if I don't, then like you can feel it. Right. And I think that trifecta is really attractive to the kind of people that we call the heroes of our city right now, like the Dr. Morris's. Dr. Scott Morris is unbelievable here in our city. He came here to Memphis because of the opportunity, because it was cool and because there was opportunity, but because there was great need. And to have the next hundred Dr. Morrises move here, you know, you've got to have that trifecta. And we have that space. I agree 100 percent. As I have been serving in this city for the last 15 years through High Point Church, I'm amazed at how many extraordinary men and women there are just doing unbelievable acts of kindness and goodness and and being difference makers. They are everywhere. And so you can also come to this city and just be mentored and learn from some true heroes. My hardest job is not figuring out where to find somebody to talk about. It's who to talk about because there's so many amazing Memphians. Right. And, you know, Every vision is ultimately a solution to a problem. When you think about a vision, there's kind of a three-step process that you define the problem, you offer the solution, and then you present a compelling reason why you got to do something now, you know? Mm. So when we look at the city of Memphis, and we'll kind of wrap up on this here, you mentioned Dr. King. One of the things that has been a negative against our city is the assassination of Dr. King, the ripple effect of some of the things that resulted from that in the world of racism. We're approaching the 50th anniversary of Dr. King's assassination. I am beginning to see some remarkable things that are incredibly positive happen in our city in the world of racial reconciliation. And and I really think we're at a place where Instead of focusing on his death, we really are focusing on his dream and really giving new life to that dream. Maybe speak into that a little bit as to what you're seeing happen in this city and the way that this city is really healing, uniting and becoming stronger. Well, obviously, you know, a man from Atlanta and a man from St. Louis were here on April 4th that year. And one of the most horrendous acts in the history of our country happened, obviously, in a moment where so much momentum was happening for civil rights. And obviously they needed, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King needed to be here because there was injustice happening yes. in this space. Um, but it wasn't Memphians, you know, that technically that murdered him, even though he, he happened to be here. I mean, the guy planned to murder him in another city and just it worked out here. I think that what's been interesting is, is that Memphis has been so fearful of being associated with that act that they've just ran away for a whole generation. 
And I think what I see in this next generation of leaders is that they're looking at it and saying, how do we steward the responsibility instead of being the epicenter of hate? How can Memphis be the epicenter of justice? I think that there's people trying to figure that out. A lot of times being led by you and I being led by our African-American brothers and sisters who are really calling us out, calling out even the maybe the previous decade of our life before we got into this work or calling out our, our parents, whether directly or indirectly about how we are not already into this space and helping lead the way. And I'm looking to follow those leaders, assist those leaders, be a part of that deal, looking, trying to figure that out and wanting to be a part of that new era of saying like, hey, next year's 50 years and there's still some of these same problems around. Like we can't just talk about it. Like we've got to radically make changes. And some of it I don't understand. Some of it I clearly do and I'd get after it, but I'm looking to listen, learn, act and follow their lead and be a part of that space. And I think it's a really, really cool time in history to be able to be in Memphis and be a part of that new season of change and that new season of baton passing as we see the one fearful generation pass on yes. and the new one that's embracing what has happened and allowing that to be a space and saying, hey, justice ultimately will have a stronghold on Memphis, not fear, not hate, not segregation, but justice. And hopefully, ultimately, our city will be known by its love. I mean, that's what I truly want long term is we believe and just dream that is possible that one day that city is this city, Memphis, is known because of how it loves people. And that's what we really hope. And nothing makes a city more lovable than for it being known by love. And as we think about that and wrap up, I'll add a couple closing thoughts on that. We know scripture says only love covers a multitude of sins. Only love never fails. And one of the things that we like to say is only love works. And so I want to thank you for doing your part to prove that love works and to do your part to prove that leadership works. You're doing a tremendous job. Your team's doing an incredible job. And thank you for being an authentic voice, a megaphone and a spotlight on all the heroes that really do live in this city. For those that maybe are new to Choose 901 or new to you, what's the best way for them to follow you and begin to learn more? Search any social media for Choose 901, just C-H-O-O-S-E, no space, 901. Or go to choose901.com, check it out. Um, we've got uh, some really cool stuff up there. And then the big thing is is we've got thousands of open jobs, not just in the nonprofit sector, but in the for-profit sector. We have thousands of jobs that pay over $60,000 a year. So people need to really look at Memphis and say, like, there's opportunity there, and there's a cool place to live, and you can have a blast, you can afford to live here. If you're looking for a job, tell somebody to get here. And if you already live here and you're listening to it, Invite someone to come live in the city with you. Tell your friend, tell your family member, tell them whatever. Like, hey, come apply. Why do we live so far apart? Move to Memphis. Get a job. That's whatever. And if any of those people need a job and they can't find one, John, J-O-H-N at Choose901.com. We'll help you figure it out. Perfect. John, thank you so much for this time and thank you for your influence and impact. We are so, so, so grateful. If you want to learn more about Leadership Works and the Leadership Works Conference, you can go to leadershipworksconference.org. That will be November 3rd this year. 
We're excited about the speakers that we're going to have and all the things that are happening there. And really what we're trying to do in this arena is we're looking at emerging leaders, established leaders, and executive level leaders or elite level leaders and really trying to also identify those emerging leaders because you don't change a city by just changing the existing leadership. You change a city by changing the emerging leadership. So we're grateful for you being one of those types of leaders and being committed to that, involved in that. Till next time, we'll see you later. Thanks. Thanks.